Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we are delighted to be joined by the brilliant Rooks, who is here for a chat with us about, amongst other things, her upcoming album, Pop Not Pop. Rooks, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hi. Whereabouts are you joining us from? Uh, I'm all right. I'm getting a bit warmer now. It was a bit chilly when I came in, but um, I am in studio at 1087 Studios in Tottenham, London. And yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, excellent Good rolling team. merrily along yes well you know thank you very much for uh for taking some time out of your busy schedule i know you're very busy at the moment um to, to have a chat with us um it's been a little while since we've done one of these i think uh i think it was about a year ago something like that we lasted one of these which is quite hard to mm. believe um what have you been up to during that time (laughs) (laughs) what haven't i been up to really um so so when did we talk was it 2020 that we sat down for a chat we definitely well we definitely would have done something in 2020 i feel like we did something in 2021 as well yeah i think might have been that katie and i sat down with you in 2021 and yes you're right rising yep that's right okay yeah okay so well rather than try and (laughs) Let, rather than try and <laughs> recap the last uh, almost three years, um, how about we look at the last six months or so? What's been keeping you busy of late? What has... Okay, yes. Good question. So, lately, um, so there's been a lot of focus on getting the Pop Not Pop album out into the public ears because... Um, so, Pop Not Pop is a Help Musicians grant-funded album um, I won that grant to complete and release the album in 2020. But then tw- I think 2021 was like an unexpectedly awful year for a lot of people for different reasons. Um, and, and I had, I had a slice of that going on myself. So, uh, I had to deal with a lot of, um, kind of slightly tricky, uh, personal and professional bits and bobs. So I took a little break from making the record and, uh, and then I came back about six months later and I worked on it. Um, and I mixed it with Katie Tavini, um, who isn't a mixing engineer by trade, but knows a hell of a lot about engineering. And, uh, and together we mixed the album and now it sounds absolutely banging. And, uh, and we're dead excited for, um, the public to access it, which is cool. Um, so there's been a lot of preparation on the run up to that, especially because it's an independent release. Um, myself and, uh, my manager, Kat, we did continue, consider kind of getting a label involved, but in terms of the timelines that could, Basically, if you get involved with the label, then you're subject to their timelines. They're not really interested necessarily in taking on yours. Um, and so that could have created a lot of delay in terms of getting the album out. And also, uh, because it's a grant funded record, uh, there was a, there was a deadline. Yeah. Uh, you know, initially it was one year and then I, it got extended to two years after I requested that extension. So it had to be delivered by the end of November. And so I was like, Let's just do an independent release because I know how to do those. I've done two of them already. And uh, it's just one of those things where for me, as someone who's moving into production rather than like hardcore seeking a solo artist career, mm-hmm. and I've made that pivot and that's been the right career choice for me. Um, it's meant that I am basically offering this as like a nice big chunky portfolio of all my production okay skills which are 
big and varied and encompass um, a lot of different influences. Um, and so it was very important to get the album right from that perspective as well, because then from a recruiting recruiting sounds so sinister from from <laughs> inviting clients to to meet and potentially work with me perspective um that that album is going to be what people find when they google my name yeah so i wanted it to be top shelf to sound absolutely brilliant and shiny and wonderful and it does and i'm very proud of it so a lot of emphasis has been in that direction uh, i've also been working with uh, a handful of artists to develop their material which has been utterly wonderful um so a few examples of that a couple of that have been released have been uh dirty freud's uh record meet me in the real came out which is great and was so much fun to work on in terms of off remixing um and working uh with danny who's the producer in that project um with regards to that and then uh, I worked with Ruby Tingle, who is on Dirty Freud's label, um, which is, um, I think it's no such thing. I, I always want to say non-such, but that's the name of my primary school, <laughs> <laughs> which is awkward. It's like, oh, that's not a label. Uh, it's no such thing. Um, and uh, so we worked on a, a track for her called Familiars, which is glorious and Kate Bush-like and magical. And that was incredible. Um, and then I've just finished uh some work well i said just finished finished a couple of months ago now uh some work for um an artist called jagara he'll be releasing soon um and i'm developing uh some material with a, a incredible artist called adwa rose um who is possibly one of the most talented people i've come across in a long time so from a production perspective that's been loads but then also i ran a series of live events called we move for the music hack space so it's been very, very busy. I was going to say that's uh, that's quite a lot, isn't it? To be, <laughs> to, to be juggling um, sounds <laughs> sounds amazing, though. And um, I mean, you know, there's lots for us to dig into there. But I'd, I'd be curious to know how this this new record actually first originated. You said it was grant funded. Mm. Um, how did you go about making that happen in the initial stages? Well, I'd always wanted to make a full length. I think every artist or person who's a music maker does wants to kind of experience that because um, you hear everyone say that it's a completely different beast from making any other kind of record. And so I was, um, I'd always had it in mind. But then um, towards the end of 2019, I just finished Liminal and my then producer, Chris, and I, producer, sorry, my then manager, Chris, and I, were discussing the next project and I knew I wanted to create the next project myself for it to be a self-produced um, item as it were and we and I had enough material to start a full-length process um, but then something kind of awful happened which was that um, I completely wiped my hard drive by oh, no. accident and to this day i don't know how it happened but we tried to retrieve the data and we couldn't wow. so i still had the songs like in my head in my brain on paper with little handwritten chord progressions um but i'd lost all my demos and i was utterly devastated i was literally lying on the floor of my tiny little flat studio in hackney just making a very unearthly noise with my head in my hands 
Um, and my manager was on speaker trying to, trying to like <laughs> console me. I'd be like, it's going to be okay. And so between us, we came up with this idea of like, okay, well, if we're going to, if we're going to re-record the demos, let's make, let's be purposeful about it and let's talk about exactly what this album's going to sound like and exactly what the purpose of it is. Um, and so through that, um, kind of that that group of songs and starting to completely rebuild the songs um we came up with the idea of pop not pop which is i i i write pop music and i love pop music but i don't love a lot of it like a lot of it has become very homogenized in terms of how we like the different production styles that are used partly because of the um in the kind of interference of algorithms and spotify and the way that the symbiotic relationship with, between how people listen to music or consume music, as we now tend to describe it, um, and then what corporate music labels decide based on what people are listening to is what should be produced in terms of new pop music. Mm-hmm. So it, eventually it all just ends up sounding the same. And we do, it comes in waves really, because there are trends, but um, it meant that there was very, very little pop music that I felt like was really resonating or reaching me because everything just sounded the same. And I also have the attention span of a mosquito. So, um, so that kind of compounded the problem. Mm. So I'm like, Oh, I've had this before. It doesn't matter. I, I wasn't even listening to if the song was good. It's just that if, if the production was the same, it was immediate turn off. Um, so I decided to hearken back to uh, probably about 10, 15, maybe even 20 years ago when pop music was a lot more fluid in terms of the genres that would influence it. You'd, back in the days of Top of the Pops, you would see uh, the ch- the pop charts being being kind of have indie bands in and Britpop and dance music. And there was this sense of blend and kind of bend in terms of genres. There wasn't a sense of oh, wait, this doesn't fit this genre, so we can't market it. There was a lot more fluidity. So I took that idea and I allowed it to impact the way that I was structuring the production for Pop Not Pop. And it's that's what the name means. It's pop music, but it's not the pop music that we're used to. Mm. Um, so all the hooks are pop, all the structure is pop, but it's got dance music influences in there. It's got rock music influences in there. It's got alternative kind of experimental influences in there. Um, and... It's and it's got such a broad variety of audio joy. Um, so I think for those who are looking for something a little different, that's the gap that it's going to fill. Yeah, and it's really it's really interesting. Uh, and and I think that you know that that approach to to contemporary pop is something that I'm always fascinated speaking to to artists and producers about because it. I, I don't think it can really be argued, what, you know, the, what, what you said there about the. Obviously, there's great pop music being made, but there is a lot of it that does end up becoming quite semi because there's so much focus on out on other factors other than just mm. writing great music, and and that's always been true to an extent. You know, it's not like yeah. you know that that's yeah. ever not been the case, but I feel like it is the case more so now than possibly at any other point in in history yeah i agree damaging i think it's so it's something that you know that there are so many things to consider at this point you know yes there's this you know there's the the streaming platform algorithms and then there's the 
constantly looking for you know and collaboration can be a wonderful and brilliant thing but sometimes it's there i think purely for the sake of trying to kind of wind up on different playlists and things uh-huh. like that, as That's opposed it. to i just really want to work with this person um mm. and i think that it is i, I think that you know if, if ever there was a need for really great pop music that isn't kind of diluted by any of these other factors it's probably now because I, I don't think that it's I don't think that we've we've kind of experienced this in the industry before, at least not on this level. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's another thing. I always end up talking about the internet and like everything I do now. But that 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 is the impact of the internet and of and of global influence and of and of kind of how um how we interact with uh with a global industry with global access mm. um that's instantaneous. So these things, these things are all kind of catalysts towards that dynamic that we're talking about. And a really good example of this is actually I, um, I had an artist pop in, uh, who I won't name because I haven't, I haven't asked them if I can share this anecdote. <laughs> so, uh, I had an artist pop in, uh, for a chat about po- possibly working with them, um, a few weeks back before I released the first single from the album called Consent, which came out a couple of weeks ago. And, um, I played, um one of the album tracks to um to this artist and it was fascinating because they said something that i had sort of instinctively known but hadn't articulated which was i'm fascinated by the fact that you have chosen not to eq the lower mids out of your voice which as a female pop voice is what we are used to we are used to it sitting in the kind of in the in the in the mid in the frequency range. We're used to hearing all the weight of a female pop voice sitting basically somewhere around probably five hundred through to like a thousand, and that is where it lives wow. in terms of hertz. And um and because and this was something that had come up when Katie and I were mixing because I had originally done that I EQ'd the hell out of my vocal, um and I have a very unusual tonality to my voice because I have um a classical background and I'm now I'm a contralto I've got quite a but I also have quite a lot of soprano range, so it's an unusual voice that people probably would associate more with folk music than pop music, um and. Katie basically slapped me on the wrist and she said, you've EQ'd all the quality out of your voice. And she made me go back and she sat with me and we EQ'd it kind of together. We came to a compromise on it. Um, and she was right. And it's just to do with what we're used to hearing hmm. from pop musicians, particularly female pop musicians, um, but also male pop musicians. If you think about Shawn Mendes and Justin Bieber and people like that, there is a, vo- a vocal quality that we now associate with pop that we didn't necessarily get hung up on before but we do now um and the artist who was who was listening the fact that they were able to articulate that um and nail it immediately i was like oh gosh yeah you're right and Mm. consequently that single that i played which was consent um it has made it onto a ton of grassroots playlists but very few genre-based playlists okay that's interesting yep yeah in terms of how it's been picked up, that's how that's gone. So people love it, but the fact that it is a little bit flexible, it's pop rock. So, I mean, I found that funny in terms of blogs and reviews as well. I had it on, I had a review on like Headbanger News. 
and, and then I also had a, you know, a review on, on Iggy, which is, so one is a Brazilian review and one is a French review and Iggy is pop and, and, you know, right. headbanger is as you'd expect rock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so my kind of predictions about the fact that people love it, but they're so, we're so kind of, um, conditioned into this sense of genre, 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 yeah. um, that we that we find it hard to make that leap on a on a kind of cognitive level um yeah. is quite fascinating yeah that is i mean how do you slightly off topic but not not totally how do you tend to go about discovering new music for yourself as a, as a music fan because i've had a couple of interesting conversations recently with with different artists and producers who have kind of said that they are now moving, you know, whereas I think, you know, the, the stream, when the, the streaming boom first happened, there was that almost novelty aspect. If you've got the world's music at your fingertips and you can find mm. anything of any style, genre, whatever, you know, on your phone. Uh, now that's seem people seem to be moving away, at least of a certain generation, perhaps. And they're mm. discovering their music now through things like TikTok. Uh, and and uh, you know social media apps even more so than dedicated music platforms, which I thought was quite yeah. interesting because the the choice there is perhaps too overwhelming, or yeah, you, you get a little bit fed up of the stuff that's being fired towards you because it doesn't really fit with what you actually want to hear. So you're 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 not really hearing stuff mm. that you want to listen to. I was just curious to know what your predominant kind of mode of music discovery is. Well. I think what's quite interesting about that is that I I am not a huge fan of the algorithm recommendation model just because I find it doesn't work for me very well. Um I think because my palette is my palette is broad but my my kind of like real fixational love for a song is very specific or a sound. Um so it's like, I really like what I like, but it can be found in any genre. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's my way of discovering music. Like I, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I've been slow to, uh, get on board with TikTok, but I'm there now and I do enjoy it. Um, I don't use it to find music. I use it to loll at people. Um, which I think is how probably like the other half of people who get on TikTok <laughs> yeah. use it. Um, but I discover music more purposefully, really, through because um, I'm a Tidal user. I'm a big fan of, of Tidal um, as a streaming platform from both a, um, a kind of artist and the fact that they're seeking to get artists a better deal and things like that. But also from an audio quality perspective, it's quite dramatic, yeah. even on the most basic package, how much better the audio quality is on Tidal versus other platforms that shall go unnamed. Um so I, I do like it there. And I, I am in the habit of looking at their new releases weekly. Like I don't do it every week, but when I get to a point where I'm like, I am a bit bored now, then I will jump on the latest new releases playlist and I will cycle through. And I will usually find probably about three to five tracks or artists okay. that I haven't come across before. Um, that I, might be interested in um which is cool um 
I do tend to pick up a lot of uh, new music through sync as well, like through television and film um, soundtracks and more television these days. Like I recently caught up with a series called The Rook, which is on Channel 4, but it was a star series back in 2019. And it had just this one song that was just so great. And I hadn't, it was so fresh and I hadn't heard anything like it in a long time. And I just immediately like, because I don't have Shazam on my phone anymore because I've just deleted a lot of apps lately. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, soundtrack the Rook um, and then found the song and went and, and found it on Tidal and added it. So um, so I think, you know, sync is really important in terms of people's discovery. I think for a long time, people discovered a lot of new music through uh, Made in Chelsea, but now it's Love Island. Um, and for lots of particularly pop artists, it's like, oh my gosh, I got a track on Love Island, such yeah. a win. <laughs> um, because they understand that's how it works. That's how a huge, it's got a huge audience and that's how a lot of pop artists get discovered, albeit for short or long-term basis. But, um, so yeah, so there's, I think that's probably my primary discovery. People recommend music to me all the time and I'm sorry, but I just don't listen. Like yeah. I don't care what other people like. <laughs> I mean, I probably have like a handful of people that I really trust. And if they're excited, then I probably will also be excited about it. But I am, I, I have stopped pretending that I care about other people's music taste now. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fair enough, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm yeah. too old. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I think it's better to just not, it's better to not listen, isn't it? Because th there's nothing worse than then listening and not liking it and then having to kind of... Uh... <laughs> Mm. either pretend that you liked it or oh uh, yeah or, that thing yeah. that thing was good right, too awkward <laughs> <laughs> okay no, that, that's that's really interesting uh to hear i mean when you were when you were making this record mm. can you talk to us a little bit about how you you know the nuts and bolts of how this this album came together were you working in a similar way to how you'd been working previously or you know the new studio setup that you have where you're currently located mm. has that changed to the way that you've worked at all you know what what did the the, the yeah production process it really it really, like? it really has it's put a lot more discipline in place which was necessary um i think as someone who uh is neurodiverse and therefore has hyperfixation uh for me music is my hyperfixation which is why i've made it my job um it's the best possible scenario for everybody yeah. so um so what before i was in a studio i would kind of just like roll out of bed and walk downstairs to the little studio room in my pajamas and I'd make myself a coffee and then I'd sit stewing in my pajamas for four hours and doing bits and bobs but there wasn't really a good psychological barrier between my workplace and my living space uh, which caused me a lot of problems because I'm also a chronic insomniac like I have to trick my brain into sleeping every single night and it is kind of a labor so to have a workspace and especially during the pandemic when I was literally working in my bedroom um, I had to have a ritual between getting up and getting to the desk because I couldn't just ramble to the desk in my pajamas anymore because it just was creating a non like I wasn't sleeping mm. at all um, and so I had this ritual where I would get out of bed and I would go and have a shower and I would get dressed and I would put shoes on in the house and then I would walk to my desk <laughs> and then I would start work. And it worked. It really helped um, for a long time while we were all trapped in our rooms. Um, 
but uh but having the studio space uh it really just helped me to to not need that kind of um constant really almost like you can hear the gears grinding as i'm trying to shift from like rest into work mode um i don't have that anymore like i actually leave the house and i have a place of work and i go and i have to structure my time because i only have a designated amount of time in that space to get things done i can't noodle around on reddit for an hour and a half and then do my work because i i'm paying for this space like time is now literally money and so i have a certain amount of stuff to get done while i'm here and uh and that is now how i work so it has it has changed the way that i work um it's quite tricky because doing it that way does uh dial down some of the spontaneity which was quite important for my previous creative um practice and so i'm i'm trying to find ways to reinvigorate that sense of spontaneity because some of that provides wonderful ideas and i don't want to lose that practice completely um so it's a work in progress and in terms of the way that the album evolved um i i wrote endless lists of changes essentially i would work on the record in like a lot of it got made in in my bedroom but in terms of the uh, the final kind of production and mixing, I would listen at home or on the bus or on the trains. I'd, I'd listen to the mixes. I'd make all the notes. I'd make the list of things to be done. And then I'd go into the studio and I'd do them. It was very boom, 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 because that was the only way that I felt like I could get from one end of the album to the other without meandering off in different directions um because that of course is is the potential downside of self-production and especially if you do have a broad palette you can start off developing in one direction and then you're like oh maybe i'll go over here and try this which can be great in the early stages but if you're at a point where you've got a deliverable deadline and you have to get it done you can't afford to go wandering off into the sonic woods with your, you know, your wood blocks and your carabels and just seeing what happens. You have to, you have to get the job done. And that's a big part of a producer's job. So it was good training wheels. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, how does it feel to now have this record kind of finished and ready to go after, you know, starting work on it a little while ago now, um, mm. going through all that you've been through to get to this point? How does it feel to be, you know, at, at the finish line, as it were? Hmm. <laughs> That's a really good question. It varies a lot from day to day, to be honest. There is a lot of catharsis in getting it into the public space. Um, but there's also a lot of um, anticlimax, I think, because that's what happens when you're working on something for such a long time. Um, and I think as well in terms of like managing expectations, like you can have a favorite on the album and other people just will not get it. Yeah. That has happened to me twice with both of my previous records. I've been like, everybody's going to love this. And then everyone gravitates towards a completely different track. And that's fine. That's absolutely not the end of the world. It's just something that happens. So making sure that I check myself and my sense of uh, kind of um, self-validity uh, as a music maker in terms of and and make sure that I'm not measuring that by people's reactions to the record and and continue to remind myself of what a huge accomplishment it is. That's uh that's another discipline that I've had to sort of integrate periodically into uh into the campaign process with the help of people around me like 
uh, Katie and Kat and, and, you know, other people who are close to me who've sort of watched the whole thing unfold. So, yeah. Excellent. I mean, I also, before we finished up, just wanted to talk a little bit about your work with 2% Rising um, Mm. and what's been going on there, what have been some of the key kind of talking points and subjects that have been going on in that group over the past year or so. I mean, and, and perhaps uh, just, you know, in a real nutshell, um, if you could just, for anyone who's listening to this that perhaps isn't aware of 2% Rising, just explain a little bit about what it is, what it does, and what's been happening on that front over the past, uh, you know, past 12 months or so. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who haven't encountered 2% Rising before, we are a studio talent network that is for women and gender minority people. And so we started a couple of years ago and we're now approaching a thousand members, which is wonderful. And we have three main goals. One is to help people connect to each other. Uh, The second is to resource people. And the third is to grow careers. Um, So essentially that has continued to roll. It's got, it's slowed down a little bit this year because, uh, mostly because myself, uh, Katie Savini, who runs it with me, with Suze Cooper as well, we all went freelance or launched a business, which is wonderful. Um, but it's meant that our craniums have been very full. And so we are making plans to move 2% rising into a slightly different space. Um, but those plans will probably be executed, uh, kind of within the next few months rather than having happened immediately but also over the summer no one's ever around <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> um so yeah so we're now in, we've been having some very interesting conversations particularly because uh we realized that because we kept it um a space uh on facebook as a private group for women and gender minorities only that there were a lot of people that found that a difficult concept. They felt like we were being excluding people. (laughs) And the answer is yes. Yes, we were. Um, but there's a reason for that. It's not, it's not come from a reactionary or an unreasoned place. It's because the music industry is unregulated and, uh, women and gender minorities, the statistics are are all over the place in terms of and anecdotally as well. Everybody has a story. Um, everyone has encountered, um, misconduct, harassment, um, basically professional sabotage, all kinds of things that are, that are gender, um, gender based discrimination. Um, and we need a space that is safe for us. That is a space for people to heal, to grow, to learn from each other, to gain confidence in an industry that basically does not protect us. And there are moves that are being made by various organizations. Mus- uh, Musicians Union has, has been doing what it can, what it can legally to, uh, try and support people who have been victimized in that way. Um, Cactus City are another incredible organization that we are currently in contact with who are, who are doing their best to raise their voice and make moves, um, around those issues. Uh, but the reality is that we're nowhere near where we should be in comparison to a lot of other creative industries. There isn't enough around to protect us. And we need that space. We need that space for us. Um, However, we are conscious that we have accumulated some incredible allies and we want them to also be able to see how we manage our space and how we build our culture because our culture is more egalitarian. It is geared more towards collaboration rather than competition. That's something the industry needs more broadly. We recognize that. Uh, so at the moment, we are currently uh, building a discord that will become an inclusive space rather than a safe space. And that inclusive space will be open 
open to people of all genders digitally um, and will enable people, as long as they abide by the guidelines, um, and will enable people to observe the way that we manage our community um, and basically give a little digital example, like a microcosm of perhaps how the music industry could operate if it just got off its ass and um, actually prioritised equality as much as it says that it would like to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, it's great to hear about the work that's still going on with 2% Rising. You know, I think it's uh, it's such a great initiative and, and something that's much needed in the industry. So it's good to hear that there's mm. still, you know, some really interesting <clears throat> and important work going on on that front. Um, lastly, uh, what's coming up next for you? I know we're, uh, we're almost out of time, but I just <laughs> wanted to uh, see if you've got anything else coming up on the horizon that you're able to talk to us about at this moment. Um, and also, yeah. uh, I don't think we've discussed the release date for Pop Not Pop, oh. yet, have we? So we should probably mention <laughs> okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Probably. Okay. So here's, uh, here's the rundown. So depending on when this goes out, um, so I will be performing some pop, not pop, uh, at Green Note in Camden in London on the 11th of October. Um, there are still tickets available, just a few. They are going. So, um, if people want to get on them, then please do. Um, Next is uh, the following day, I'll be releasing a single called Paint from the Pop Love Pop album, which is a much more groovy, very Prince, Lizzo, Billie Eilish influenced kind of track in comparison to the very rock track I did before. Um, Pop Not Pop is coming out on the 9th of November, absolutely everywhere. Um, and there will be lots of lovely things attached to it. So you can find me on socials at I am Rooks with an E between the K and the S. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, once again, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure chatting, as always. Um, always a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. No, not at all. And, you know, we wish you all the very best with the record. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.